And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Mythbits. You made an excellent choice. The World of Mythbits. Hey everybody, and welcome to the World of Mythbits episode. Ah, it would not be an episode unless I didn't know where I was. Episode 69. (laughs) Oh, oh, the comments, the comments. But it's PG. I keep it PG. I try and keep it PG. Okay. Episode 69, I am your host, Stephanie Barty. And guess what? It's magazine review. So we are reviewing issue 81 and it just came out last week. So everybody's had a read. Everybody has had a week to read it. Now, before we get into the review, I do have the official stuff to take care of first. So I'm going to do that now. I'm going to touch on a few things that I mentioned in my introduction to in the magazine. First off, congratulations to Stephen Bruce again for being January's member of the month with his winning poem, A Tragedy. And if you go to www.theworldofmyth.com, you click on Contributors, you click on B, you click on Stephen Bruce, you can read that poem. Also, congratulations to Jeff R. Young for making featured article this month for his poem, Burnt Flowers. Um, do, 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 do. Let's see. What else do we have to do? Um, if you'll notice, in this month's magazine, there is a lovely banner across the top advertising Melissa Ridley Elm's book, Arthurian Things. So you can get that on Amazon. You click on that banner. It'll take you right to the Amazon page. I highly, highly suggest you get a copy because it's wonderful. It really, really is. Just saying. I'm not biased. Well, I am, but, you know. So, speaking of Melissa Ridley Elms' book, she was last year's winner of the Open Contract Challenge. You see, I kind of did that segue. And our Open Contract Challenge is starting again this month, because it is the first. Well, you'll be listening to this on the second. It'll be starting in 20 days, March 22nd. So get your stuff ready. Get your stuff polished up. And let's have another awesome competition this year. I'm so excited. So March 22nd, Open Contract Challenge. Um, I also want to touch on, I'm going to be making a minor change to our submission guidelines. Um, the submissions have gotten much better. Thank you very much. You are following everything that we have as a prerequisite and the format um, the stories are fantastic that are coming in. We're getting a wide range. It's fantastic. Um, the only thing that I'm going to be making the change to is how the author bio 
and picture are submitted. Um, I'm assuming in the past it has always been you put the author bio and your pick in the body of the email. And I kind of just kind of let that go. But we are starting to get a lot of new contributors. And unfortunately, when it's put in the body of the email, I can't just cut and paste it into a Word document and then send it to Dave for coding. Because taking it from the email to the Word document, it's picking up all the coding from the email and putting that into the Word document. And then Dave takes the Word document and codes it using HTML into the magazine, and then it's got all of this other coding, and it just makes for really weird symbols and oddness when you look at it. So, the change that I'm going to be making is I'm going to be asking that if you are a new author and you don't have a contributors page on our magazine, when you submit a story and you're submitting your bio and your author picture, please put the bio and the author picture in a separate Word document. Okay, thanks. I appreciate it. Really, really do. It just makes things a little easier for me. I don't have to type out every bio by hand. Um, I mean, this month alone, so far, we have six new contributors. So that's six bios that I have to type out by hand and then put their picture into the Word document, which I don't mind doing. If you want to send the picture separate, that's fine. But um, putting the bio into a Word document makes my life a little easier, and I appreciate it. And that way, you're not being subject to my human error in making a mistake in typing something. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be one of the changes into the submission guidelines is that the bios and author picks are submitted in a separate Word document. Now you don't have to do a separate Word document for the bio, for the bio and a separate Word document for the pick. Throw the pick in with the bio. Perfect. Works great. Or like I said, you can leave the pick in the email, but the author bio, please type it out into a Word document, preferably in Times New Roman 12 point font. But I'm okay, whatever font you want to use, because I can change it. That's not a problem. It's basically select all, change font. Not a big deal. But I would appreciate it if you would attach it as a separate Word document. Um, we're also starting to get a lot of stories that um, are using language that... Um, I mean, we, we do accept all. We are an adult magazine. Just if there is such content within the story, put a disclaimer or a warning at the beginning of the story for me so that I'm aware. Because a lot of times when I'm reading a story, I don't necessarily catch it as I'm reading it. Like I, I read it and I acknowledge, yes, that's okay. And I keep going, especially if it's a really good story. So just so that I'm, you know, aware, language warning or sexual content warning, let me know so that I can make sure that those warnings go at the beginning of the stories for our readers. 
because some things are triggers for people and we do have kids that read the magazine and parents that go through the magazine with their kids so we want to make sure that they are aware that certain stories may not be kid friendly or may have things that you may not want to read okay thanks okay so i think that's the official stuff out of the way I really, I, I hate doing the, the, the grumbly official stuff because I'm not a grumbly type person, but you know, you got to put the old hat on and you got to do the job. So, okay, done the job. All right, let's get to the fun stuff. <laughs> so February was a good month for the magazine, I must say. I mean, every month is a good month, but we had quite a few new contributors this month and the stories that they were submitting just like mind blown um i will i'm not gonna give you any more detail than this but i will say that um the voting for member of the month is fairly neck and neck between several stories so yeah get your your pages out there um now, you've probably noticed that I haven't been posting, direct posting the links to the stories on the contributors' Facebook pages. Um, there are a few reasons for that. I have noticed that when I do go to do that, the day after the magazine comes out, most of you have already done it. So I didn't see a point in being repetitive about it. Most of you have figured out how to go to your contributors page, go to your story and share the link, which is fantastic. I really appreciate that. It's, it's fantastic. Also, if you have a private Facebook page, I'm not going to be able to find you. I'm also not going to be able to post to your page. And I was noticing that a lot of the, I would send the links in a private message and, um, they weren't, the messages weren't being seen. So I don't know if they got shuttled to spam, if they got shuttled into message requests and you're not seeing them. Like I know on my phone with message requests, I don't see them. I don't get them. And I spend most of my Facebook time now since I've been traveling on my phone. So if I have a message request, I don't see it. So it sits there. And usually when you're getting a message request, it's from somebody who you are not Facebook friends with. So... If you would like me to go back to posting the direct links on your page the day after the magazine comes out, let me know. Okay? And I will do that. Um, you can Facebook friend my public account, which would make it so much easier. And then I just post the link directly to your page and we go from there. Some of our writers don't have Facebook. So... That makes it difficult too. But anyway, let me know. If you want me to post, I'm going to make a list. If you want me to post a direct link to your work on your page the day after the magazine comes out, or within a few days after the magazine comes out, shoot me an email, shoot me a message on Facebook, and let me know. And I will make a list of those who want me to post the link, and I will. How's that sound? All right. Okay. So now to the fun stuff. 
We're going to start with our drabbles and flash and microfiction. And first up on the chopping block, <laughs> and I say that with tongue in cheek because it's David K. Montoya's piece, so <laughs> I can say that, is his drabble, The Art of Dying. And I have to say, I was thoroughly impressed with this piece. Um, for only being a hundred words, which is what travels are, it's very hard, at least for me, to encompass an entire story. And a story has a beginning, a middle, and an ending. And the beginning has to pull you in. The middle has to create the conflict, the climax, the, the meat of the story. And the end has to wrap it all up nicely. And in order for a travel to be a complete story and not feel like an excerpt from a bigger story, it needs to have, in my opinion, it needs to have that, those three things. A beginning, a middle, and an end. And a lot of travels that I've read feel like they're part of a bigger story. Now this one, The Art of Dying, um, it has that. It has the beginning. Like you're, you're in the trench with Charlie. You're in the middle of the war and, and it's kind of like you opened your history book and you're there and you're seeing what it was like in that moment in time for Charlie. And it talks about what he's going through and, and, you know, his partner's dead, how he's feeling and, the irony of his situation to him. The fact that, you know, he had said, whoa, dude, you know what? This isn't going to work. And here he was seeing it play out in front of him, not working. And he knew he's going to die. That's it. This is it. This is how it's done. This is the end. And I really, really, seeing as I've had several, holy moly, try that again. Seeing as I've had several of my family members um, in the war, my grandfather being one of them, my Uncle Jerry, my grandfather's brother. It was something they would never talk about. It was something that they acknowledged. Yes, I was there. This is what happened. It was not... They wouldn't talk about it. So to read something like this, it kind of gives you... Um, an insight into the mind of what they may have been thinking. So, I really enjoyed that. The Art of Dying by David K. Montoya. Okay, moving on. On Valentine's Day by Gabriella Balcom. Now, I will say one thing. Gabriella is really, really good at writing drabbles and um, flash fiction. She has that knack for being able to pull you in. And this one, seeing as, you know, it's February and it was Valentine's Day, um, was no different. I certainly was not expecting um, the way the story went. And I kind of, you, you kind of, feel for the protagonist in this story, but you don't. Like, you understand where Jake is coming from. But, well, yes, no. 
sorry, not Jake, the writer. You feel where the writer is coming from. Um, but you, you look at, at, this is a hard story because you do kind of feel for the writer and what they've gone through, what they've lost, what they've had to endure, and you understand their rage, their anger, and, and how they feel towards Jake. And then you look at Jake, and he's suffering from a disease. He's got alcoholism. And, you know, do you still condemn the man if he's made changes and he's gotten better? Even though he's killed because of the disease? You know, it was really good. And I mean, I really, really felt for the lead character in this story and what they must have had to endure. I've lost people to drunk driving, so I understand. Um, yeah. So, that is On Valentine's Day by Gabriella Balcom. And then we have Questions by Christopher Price. And Christopher seems to really be picking up the art of travels. Um, he, again, is one that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. But I do also see, especially this one, and he's done some before dealing with druids and um, things like that. And this one also kind of feels like it plays into that theme because it's it's talking about a wizard um, and in that kind of vein, that kind of, of genre. So it feels like it's a piece from a larger story. And I mean, it's a standalone piece. It, it reads well and it, it really pulls you in. And, you know, you kind of feel for the wizard and, like, wonder what he's going through and how he's feeling. Um, and, and, you know, he's old and he's aging, but it, it feels like there's more. There's more. Come on, Chris, there's more. <laughs> so it was really, really good. I really enjoy Chris's work. Um, and this is no different. I really enjoyed this one. It's called Questions. And yeah, whether, it, I mean, yes, it's wrapped up in a fairy tale kind of storyline with, you know, the wizard and the apprentice and all of that stuff. But it also makes you, it, it, it's also kind of brings you to, you look at the, but all my childhood memories were sacrificed. Okay. As you get older, you start forgetting things from your childhood and that happens. So, you know, it's kind of a balance. Reading this, it was kind of a, um, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Symbolic of actual life in the questions that it was raising, the things that it was talking about. So, yeah, questions by Christopher Bice. Okay. 
And then we have He Didn't Think of Everything by Gabriella Balcom. We're still in Drabbles and Flash, by the way. And this one... Um, <laughs> this one was good. I, I enjoyed this one. Um, it's kind of a... For me, when I was reading it, it was a ton of cheek. Like, they get arrested for embezzlement, and they've got, you know, $64 in their wallet. You know, where is the money? And you're kind of reading it. Um, and again, it's another one of those that has the beginning, the middle, and the end. But it did feel like there could be more to this story. Um, I wanted to know why they were arrested for embezzlement. But I really enjoyed it, and she has a way of um, writing from a perspective of character anger, almost. And it, it, she really tugs at your heartstrings when you're reading it, because you you really feel for the teller of the story. Um, and it she she tends to have an ability to put that surprise ending where you're you're thinking okay 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 oh wow all right so i really enjoy her stuff um yeah so he didn't think of everything gabriella balcom and it's another one that's kind of valentine's themed so check it out and then we have Dolphins by James Bates. And this is a travel. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Because it's a fitting end to a miserable man. And I've read several stories recently where nature is kind of coming in, whether it's through plants or animals, but it's coming in and helping someone in need. And in this case, it's dolphins helping an abused woman. And dolphins are very intelligent animals. So it makes you wonder, is there, could there be some kind of, um, validity to this story? Would they know? Could they know? So, I really enjoyed it. Um, it makes you think. And it did, you know, make me snicker. He fell overboard. He'd been drinking. He was a known alcoholic. He drank. So, yeah, I liked it. Dolphins. By Dolphins by James Bates. Okay, so now we are moving into fantasy. And we have part one of Someone Else's Dreams, Paco Aramburu. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. If I did not, please let me know. This story, right, right from the beginning, sucked me in. Sucked me right in. Um, it has that 
historical kind of modern, not really historical, but kind of modern action tale to it. But as you get reading it and you, you meet Ishtar, the house, um, you realize that it has more of a supernatural feel to it. And the way he writes it, like the lady, our lady of the commode, <laughs> you know, there are um, smatterings of humor throughout it. So it, it keeps you on the edge of your seat and you're reading it. But then there's like the line, our lady of the commode that just kind of pops in there and it, you, you laugh in surprise because you're not expecting it. Um, it just kind of lightens things up a little bit. So this is part one and it's really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, like I said, it's, it's seriously got that supernatural feel to it. Obviously she's staring, she's communicating with a painting. Um, and I can't wait until you all get to read part two. Because I know what happens. It's the joys of being the editor. So, it leaves off, you're just meeting Matt. And, um, you've already gone and gone, mm-hmm. Because his wife has already told you about their leader, Matt, for the cult that she belongs to. So, sorry, group that she belongs to. <laughs> it's a cult, we know that. So, I highly suggest you tune, tune in next month for part two, because it's really good. Really good. I, I really, like I said, it sucked me right in. I had to read it twice, because the first time I just read it straight through, and then I went, oh, I need to go back and edit this. Um, and that's Someone Else's Dreams, part one, by Paco Aramburu. I hope I pronounced your name right. Okay. And then we have, oh, The Beginning of the End by me. And I know I haven't um, been consistent lately with the installments of the Chosen series that's on here. And that's because it's kind of starting to wind down. And, um, I've been busy doing things. So this is the beginning of the end. And we are coming to the conclusion very, very soon. And, um, you're not ready to get the conclusion because it, this is coming out in book form. But anyway, we'll discuss that on another podcast. So, so far, we are up to where um, they have been told how to to defeat Rendall, and they think they know. And they discover something rather interesting um, in this incarnation that they hadn't explored in previous incarnations. Now... Celeste and Merrick have always had an affection for each other. They've always had feelings for each other. But in previous incarnations, they've never acted on that because 
they had always assumed that their affection for each other would be the weakness that Rendall would use to destroy them. Well, they discover in this um, segment that they are actually stronger and shielded and protected when together than they are when they're apart. So now they seem to think they may know how to defeat him. So that is the beginning of the end by me. And just remember, what you may think you know isn't always necessarily what is going to happen. Because that's just the way I am. <laughs> so the beginning of the end by me, Stephanie Barty. Okay. Do, 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 do. Now we have All Log Cabins Are Haunted by Patrick Quinn. And I actually just finished editing part two today. This is part one. And poor Richard. <laughs> I really feel for Richard because he spends a lot of time not exactly knowing what's going on. Or, you know, what he's doing or where he's going because he ends up in places that, you know, he doesn't belong. Um, kind of starts out modern day, you know, log cabin, likes to live out in the bush. And he opens his door to an entirely different world. Um, and this clock that plays a big part in the story. can take you wherever you want to go, basically. Um, and he's not alone in this cabin anymore. There's something else there with him. So things get a little interesting and a little crazy. Um... I mean, we're talking Komodo dragons, and we're talking princesses, and all of the nifty things that you find in fantasy. So, this is part one, and I suggest you tune in next month for part two, because it is really, really good, and I enjoyed it. it sucked me right in. And I don't think I'm going to be going to any log cabins anytime soon, especially not if there's these clocks with these big world maps on them. And I've seen a few clocks that, like when he was describing the clock in the story, I'm like, I, I had a picture in my head of what this clock looked like. So, poor Richard. So that's All Log Cabins Are Haunted by Patrick Quinn. And then we have... And we all know... Okay, I'm sorry. We all know I have a great love for this story, and I have a serious literary crush on one of the characters. So now we have The Rising, Part 7, and Draven is now back in the safety of the castle with everybody else. So I know he's not out there anymore. He's not in danger. He's safe. Thank you very much, Jeff. You promised me. Yay. <laughs> um, and this explains a little bit more as to what was going on out there and um, Draven, why Draven's injury is so bad. And it's kind of got me a little concerned. Now you said you weren't going to kill him off, but please don't make him an undead. 
<laughs> and it tells you, like, when he was out there, he found Deal up a tree. And it explains to you how he got up there. And why he got up there. And why he stayed there. And what he's going on. Like, it has a very, um, almost Walking Dead feel to it. But in a fantasy um, package, I guess. So, like I said, Draven's back. Everybody, and he brought Deal with him. Deal with him. And um, things, I, I was kind of like, yes, okay, things are going to get better. We're going to figure out what's going on. And Deal's going to tell us. And wait a minute, why is, what's wrong with Draven? Draven's got an owie. And I was not happy camper. So now you've got, he's been bitten by one of these things and you, you, as DL's telling you about what happened, you get that panicked feeling that this spreads very quickly. But why hasn't Draven changed yet? If he's been bitten, why hasn't he changed? Because the town seemed to be wiped out fairly quickly. Um, so it makes me wonder. So yeah, you have to read this. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Please don't hurt my Draven. Uh, that's The Rising by Part 7 by Jeff R. Young. Alright. How are we doing for time here? Because, yeah, good grief. Alright. Now we have The Missing Unicorn in the Land of the Zombie Fairies, Part 8, by David K. Montoya. Now, this installment kind of took a darker, um, more somber turn as they finally reached the uh, Prince Theo's hometown um, and discovered that everything had been burned to the ground basically. Nobody was there. Everything was gone. The buildings were on fire. They were smoldering. Basically been destroyed. So you already started out into the story um, in a somber place. And you kind of knew that from the end of part seven. But, yeah, things are pretty sad in this excerpt. And, I mean, they kind of have to be, you know, kind of have to be. And you finally get, I mean, we're getting very, we're getting closer and closer and closer to those zombie fairies. They figure out, or at least they believe they figure out that it's the zombie fairies that have destroyed the town and taken the town folk and the queen as, um, hostages because Prince Theo's people are a gentle people. They are a peaceful people. So they don't have weapons. They don't have means to defend themselves. They don't need it because nobody attacks them because they're not fighters. Well, guess what? The zombie fairies don't care. <laughs> so they send poor Ken in and Ken goes in and um, he has to experience everything that he's seen in this, this town, and he has to be the one to come back and tell Prince Theo. Luckily, though, 
he gets to tell Theo that his mom's not there. There was no bodies. There's there's nothing. So there is still hope that Theo's mom is still alive. And we get a nice little surprise at the end. I'm not going to ruin it, but I was very pleased to see this character come in. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a very uh, somber installment, but I think the way things had been going, I mean, it's a very exciting story. It is for kids obviously. Um, I love it. So I'm a big kid anyway. Um, it needed to have that somber moment. It needed to have that sad, dark moment so that we can have the hope that it's going to get better, that things are going to get better. So yeah, it's really good installment this month. The Missing Unicorn in the Land of the Zombie Fairies, Part 8, by David K. Montoya. And I noticed an editing oops on my part. Okay. Now we're going to go over to horror, and new contributor Ian Kruger, his story, Entombed. Yeah, y'all know how I feel about horror, and... This one is no different. It gave me the willies. I actually am getting better. I start doing the horror during the day. Um, but this was very well written. Now, I will tell you there is some questionable language that may offend some. Um, but it's one word. And it's once, and you just read it and carry on. But it's really, like, I really enjoyed it. It kind of, it gave you that real-world feel to it, but wrapped up in a supernatural package. Because I'm reading it, and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, okay, oh. And then as I get more into it, you realize that these people aren't human. Not like you and me human. They have um, supernatural abilities. And maybe, you know, more than that. And I really felt for um, the, the right, like the one, the main character of this story. Because they try so hard to not be that person to not go to that place. But yeah, I mean, and, and they have emotion, they have feeling. So I really enjoyed it. Um, I was very pleased. It was from a newcomer, Ian Kruger, and it's called Entombed. So if you're into horror, I would highly suggest you check it out because, yeah, it will do that for you. Okay. Then we have The Hiding Place by Don DeBrail. And this had a very... Um, I 
Twilight Zone. Yeah, episode of the Twilight Zone. I could see this being an episode of the Twilight Zone. Very, or Ray Bradbury. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It was wonderfully written. The story sucked me in right away. Um, and when the ghost appeared, I was kind of like, oh, he needs some help. And, and, you know, she's not afraid. And Addie's going to help him. And, you know, like I knew as soon as the pocket watch showed up, I knew there was something with that pocket watch because it has to do with time. Time always has to do with the dead. So, but then when I found out that what the ghost had done and how he ended up trapped there, um, yeah, it was a fitting end to him. So, that trunk will always, you know, I can't look at trunks the same. Mm-mm. Nope. So, I really enjoyed it, and it, it, it's kind of like a, um, it takes, a, the whole, the entire story takes place in one spot, so there's not a lot of, um, scenery description, other than what you get at the beginning for the attic, and sometimes for me, that makes the story better because now you're getting more of the action, more of what's going on, the emotions, the feelings, how Addie's reacting and how her grandfather is reacting and the story behind what's in that trunk and why, how it ended up there. So, yeah. Don DeBrail's The Hiding Place. Over in horror. Oh. Okay, and now we have Dear Martha by Gabriella Balcom. And it's another Valentine's themed one. Which is very cool because, you know, February is Valentine's month. And this tells the tale of a man who outwardly mourns his wife in front of everybody, but isn't a very nice man to begin with. And you're reading what he's doing to poor Martha, Martha, and you know that he's only in it for the money, that he probably killed her or caused her death in some way, shape, or form. And then he gets his comeuppance at the end, which is very fitting. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was well written. And kind of funny <laughs> when you think about it. Oh, you know, he I mean, he did kill her. He poisoned her. But... Uh, yeah, he, he was a, a bit of a creep. So, he gets his comeuppance in the end. Um, very well done. So, Dear Martha by Gabriella Balcom. 
Okay, now we're going to go over to Action and Suspense, and we have Neo Exodus Part 1 by newcomer Matt Lucas. Now, this just sucked me right in from the very beginning. I like war stories. Hitler has always fascinated me in the aspect of the fact that he was able to mesmerize and manipulate large groups of people and and get them to believe his rhetoric and and believe without question. I mean, he did horrific, horrific things. And millions, thousands and thousands and thousands of people followed him without question. Without question. Just, he's always, people like him have always fascinated me in, in their ability to do what they do and manipulate people like they do. So to read this story um, about that time, but to see it mixed in with necromancers and um, other otherworldly creatures was a breath of fresh air on an old tale. It was really good. I really enjoyed it. I mean, you've got Egyptians, you've got necromancers, and you've got Nazis all in one story. And they're fighting the Nazis. So... I really, really enjoyed this, and I, I mean, it's it's based in historical fact in the aspect that the the parts about the war are accurate, and then there's the fantasy of the story, you know, the witchcraft, the black magic, the necromancy, um, the Egyptian plagues, things like that. So I really enjoyed it and I highly suggest you check it out. This is part one. Part two will be next month and it's Matt Lucas's Neo Exodus. And that's in our action. Action? Action? Action. Yes, action. Okay. And then we have Wishful Thinking by Tom Fowler. Now this one kind of gave me pause because what would you do if you had that ability to, you know, what you, whatever you wished for was there, as long as it was something that you really wanted. And then it happened. Like, you know, it says in one part in the book, he wished for her to shut up and sit down, and she did. Could you imagine being able to wield that kind of power? Would you? What would you do with it? What would you wish for? And you would always have to be monitoring and governing your thoughts. Because you don't want that when you're mad at somebody. Oh, God, I wish they would just die. And they do. So what would you do? Would you do what um, Charles did? Or would you keep it? So it's it's a really interesting... Um, raises some really interesting questions on the morality of it and the ethics of it, having that. Um, and would you give it all away for the love of your life? So, a good story, a, a thought-provoking story, Wishful Thinking by Tom Fowler. And then we have Mr. Macbeth's Wives <laughs> by Steve Carr. And I always enjoy Steve's work. 
and this one is no different. If you've read Macbeth, then you'll see the comparisons throughout the story. The dude's got a few wives, let me tell you. Mr. Macbeth is not a nice man. And it's almost like he's recruiting these women. He accumulates these women. <laughs> his accomplices. I suggest you reading it. It's really good. It um, will keep you on the edge of your seat, for sure. And Mr. Macbeth is one of those the kind that you love to hate. But you can't hate him. You try. But you can't. <laughs> so, yes, that is Mr. Macbeth's Wives by Steve Carr. Now we're going to science fiction. And we have The Bridge by Suzanne Thomas. I have a thing about bridges. Bridges scare me. I don't like them. And this story did not help that at all. Um, it didn't really have like the, the sci-fi. I know it's in sci-fi, but it didn't, it didn't have like the alien sci-fi feel to it. But it was in the realm of, um, it wasn't really action suspense. It was sci-fi in the aspect that, you know, she's sitting on a bridge and she hears it come across the radio. Bombs are coming. You're going to die. Simple as that. Science. Nuclear explosion. Coming to get you. So, it, I would have been terrified. And as I was reading it, being in, um, the woman's shoes, sitting in the car, and being trapped on that bridge, knowing that there was nowhere I could go, I couldn't get away, couldn't get far enough away to be safe. No matter what I did, I was going to die. And the ending where, you know, the bombs do strike and she's done. She's gone. That's all that is left is a burning picture and her car, which is burning too. So is that all that's left when we're gone? Is like, it's just going to be ashes. It was really well done. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I mean, there's the only conversation in the entire thing is what she hears on the radio. It's all thought and atmospheric description, which can create that sense of panic and that conversation in your head as you're reading the story. So that's The Bridge by Suzanne Thomas. And then we have Alienation by Walter Giersbach, which I actually got a real kick out of the title because it's a play on words from a word in the story. And you're reading it, the story, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, oh yeah, okay, they're werewolves. She's a werewolf. She's a werewolf. She's a werewolf. But it never comes right out and says that she's a werewolf. And this other character is a werewolf. 
there's the description and it sounds like it, but as it says in the story, are these things that we've created in our minds and believed them into reality? Or is it actual reality? You know, have we created this fear within ourselves to create what we think is werewolves, ghosts, angels, stuff like that. Um, and it really makes you wonder what she is. I mean, he's willing to accept her whatever she is. That's obvious. But what is she? Is she a werewolf? What is she? I want to know, Walter. What is she? I say werewolf, but that is actually left to the reader to decide. So that's Alien Nation by Walter Giersbach. And then we have, um, I think this is installment number four, part four, called At the History Center. And as with each one before, this is by James Bates, and as with each one before, they are standalone stories, but they do tell a larger story as well. Now, in this installment, we're back with Quinn. Last one was his wife. And I mean, she is in this one too, but now we're back with Quinn, and it's more about Quinn and his son, Matt. And Quinn has finally reached his breaking point. He wants to be with his son. He wants to have that life that you're supposed to have and not have to live at the center and have his son live somewhere else away from him and his wife. So this is what Quinn decides he's going to do and how much of his life he is willing to risk to be with his son. And Karen is actually, I mean, she all along, all the way through has kind of been follow the rules, don't break the rules, you're being a jerk, do as you're told, this is how life is now. And in this one, you kind of see her flip that switch and um, she doesn't go with Quinn, but she doesn't give him away either. She doesn't give him up either. She does cover for him and lead them on a different route. So that is At the History Center by James Bates. And that takes care of science fiction. And now we are over into humor and we have newcomer Doug Hawley and his story, Intimate. And I mean, you look at his picture, you know, his story is going to be funny. Hanging out with a Sasquatch. And that's the one on the right. <laughs> so in this book, in his biography. So this one is an interview between a... Oh, what a cyber sensual creator, bot creator, and somebody interviewing them. And they're talking about how they've made these, um, intimate dolls more realistic, more lifelike, and, um, how they've kind of taken over because they've got too smart now. They have artificial intelligence, and they've learned how to use it. Um, 
And it goes into, you know, they've built in these fail safes and people were complaining because they were, you know, they didn't talk or they didn't do this or they didn't do that. Um, all the things that, you know, real women and real men do. <laughs> so it's rather interesting. And, you know, it goes through the whole history of how they created these dolls and made them bigger and better and, and, and all of that. And the, there is quite a surprise at the end. And I'm not going to give it away because the simple fact is you need to read the story. You need to read the interview and then you read the ending. And it, I mean, I guffawed, I guffawed, I laughed, I snorked out loud even because it was rather funny. So yeah, you have to go and read it. Intimate by Doug Hawley. It is not kid-friendly. Just making sure you knew that. Talking about sex dolls. Okay, and then we have <laughs> Thanks for Your Assistance by Walter G. Esselman. And I loved this story. It It's a whole different take for me anyway. A whole different take on the zombie. I mean... Joni, Joni, I can never remember the names. Joni, yes. Oh, hey, it was Joni. So Joni inhabits this dead body so that she can go into the police station and let them know, dude, you were wrong. This is who killed me. And you best send somebody over there to protect my kid. Um... And of course, the police officer is like, duh, duh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Because, I mean, you know, you see this dead body come walking in, being inhabited by the ghost of another dead body that's telling you where that body's buried and who did it and what you need to do about it. Um, you're going to be a little shocked, to say the least. So, yeah, it was really well done. And I could see it playing out in my head as I'm reading it. Um, and I think you'll, you'll really enjoy it. I suggest you go and check it out. And that is Thanks for Your Assistance by Walter G. Esselman. And that takes care of our stories. So now we're going to pop over to poems. And we have... Newcomer Anthony Anthem, and you may recognize his name because he is on the Jaisalmon um, podcasting network in our syndicated, syndicated, syndicated Saturday, and he does a podcast called Delivery Bros. So he's now submitted a poem, and it's it's another poem about depression. That's the name of it. And it's very well done. And as I was reading it, I could almost hear it as a rap song, seeing as, you know, he is a rapper. Um, I really enjoyed it. It kind of speaks to how one feels when they're suffering from depression. So well done, Anthony. I really enjoyed it. And that's another poem about depression by Anthony Anthem. And then we have another newcomer, Yuan Changeming. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. And he has submitted a poem named Fox Woman. And it's about a fox, and but it's about a fox that could change into a woman. 
and um, the evil that she does is she does that. So it's a very good poem. I enjoyed it. And that's by newcomer Yuan um, Change Ming, and it's named Fox Woman. So go and check that out. And then we have The Cowboy by Christopher Bice. And I really enjoyed this one. Um, you can definitely tell that Arizona is having its um, effect on Chris. <laughs> but he really, in this one, he really um, created that picture of the dust rising up under the horse's hooves and you could almost hear the creak of the saddle leather and, and smell the, the sun and, and you know, the sun warm skin and all of that. Um, and you, you feel that, that cowboy's pain and you feel his, his loneliness. And yeah, it, uh, I really enjoyed that poem. Really enjoyed it. The Cowboy by Christopher Bice. And then we have The Drum by Stephen Bruce. And this is kind of a, a darker piece. Um, again, I notice a lot with Stephen Bruce's poems, they really bring up things that make you think. And this is, you know, talking about being a cynic and not having hope. But every now and again, you have that one moment that is sublime in its perfection to where it brings you the memory of that hope and and you you go with it so that's the drum by stephen bruce and then we have um three science fiction haikus by denny marshall and i love his haikus because they they kind of all play into one another and this is very um, alien. <laughs> so they're, they're very done, well done. I absolutely love them. Um, that's three science fiction haikus by Denny E. Marshall. And then we have our featured article, Burnt Flowers by Jeff R. Young. And... Wow, Jeff, wow. I really, this poem really resonated with me. It really hit a lot of, um, personal buttons for me. And, uh, I've really enjoyed it, which is why it made it into a featured article. Because it, it kind of struck a chord with me. And it's very well written. It flows very well. And um, I, I really, yeah, I enjoyed it. So that's Burnt Flowers by Jeff R. Young. And then we have Genesis by Holly Day. And this is more of a, a poetic retelling, a poetic... Um, not retelling, but a, a poetic, uh, I can't think of the word. Um, okay. 
almost like a spoken word poem. But yeah, it it's I really I like this one. It it struck a a chord with me in in the aspect of um, a lot of things are construed by men in suits, are, are created by men. And women have no say. They have no voice. And we're trying to bring our voice. So, yeah, that's Genesis by Holly Day. And then we have the ever-emo Kevin Magnus. And his poem, Truth in Reality. And... The thing is, is with, with his poetry lately, he seems to be speaking to a lot of things, to things that a lot of people are going through that are, that, you know, you're hearing these things in your head. If you've ever suffered from depression or anxiety or low self-esteem, lack of self-confidence, he speaks to those things in his poetry. Um, and this one especially, you know, I saw a meme on Facebook that said that um, there'll always be people out there holding their breath, waiting for you to fail, make sure they suffocate. Well, a lot of times your brain only lets you get to the, there's a lot of people out there holding their breath, waiting for you to fail. To fail. And that's all you hear is to fail, fail, fail. And this poem speaks to what happens, what goes through your head, what you're thinking when you're not in front of everybody and you're alone and those voices in your head take over. When you don't have somebody there cheering you on and, and telling you, no, no, you, you got this, you're good. You know what you're doing. And then you close that door and you are truly alone. And those voices take over. And that's what his poetry speaks to. And that's what this poem, Truth in Reality. Because in all reality, that is your reality. It feels as real as anything else in your life. So, yeah. Truth in Reality by Kevin Magnus. And that, I do believe, wraps up our poetry section. And then we have our art gallery. We have some wonderful pieces. We have one of my favorites, The Mythmaster and Mr. Whiskers by Zoe M. Montoya. And, you know, for eight years old, she has quite an eye. I will say, you know, I've met Mythmaster, and I think she was far kinder in her picture of him than I would have been. But she is eight. And she likes him. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a really cute picture, and I, I really like it. She did a really good job. Her proportions are really well. Um, the cat with his little tongue sticking out, he's just so cute. And his little eyes, really like that. And, you know, Mythmaster's scruffy little beard there. His one eyeball. Um... Yeah, well done, Zoe. I really, I really like that. Myth, Myth Master and Mr. Whiskers. 
Okay, and now we have The Fisherman's Wife by Vincent May. And it's very, um, when I'm looking at it, yes, obviously, you know, it's The Fisherman's Wife. She's very aquatic. But it's almost what I would picture the Black Lagoon, the creature from the Black Lagoon, that would be his wife. That would be what I would picture as his wife. So, there's The Fisherman's Wife by Vincent May. Very well done, pencil drawing. And then we have SOS by Boriana Ananieva. And this one is actually our cover this month. And, I mean, it's a beautiful picture until you take a closer... It's still a beautiful picture. But then you take a closer look and you see in the shape of his body, you know, his shoulders hunched, head down, hands in pockets, walking towards the water. And it goes from being a beautiful picture to being a very sad, beautiful picture. Because you know he's asking for help, or he's asked for help and didn't get it. And he's broken. He's defeated. And you can tell that by his body posture. So, that's SOS by Boriana Ananieva. And then we welcome back Rebecca Illich. She hasn't been around for a while. She hasn't contributed for a while. And she's back now with Night of the Werecat. And... I love it. I, I just absolutely love the detailing. Um, it makes you wonder if this is before the kill, after the kill, during the kill. So, Night of the Werecat. I hope to see more from her by Rebecca Illich. And then we have Projection of the Soul by Randolph R. Lofgren. And it's a... I think a pencil crayon drawing of what could be a depiction of the sun with flames. And this, I'm assuming, is a self-projection of the soul. So that's Projection of the Soul by Randolph R. Lofgren. Check it out. And that takes care of our art gallery. And then over in reviews, we have some absolutely top-notch reviews for you. We have review of Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog by Moviegoer Grimm. And um, I was hesitant because, you know, Sonic. I want to see it now after reading this review. And um, check it out because I used to play Sonic the Hedgehog. I used to watch the cartoon. I absolutely loved it. And I like Jim Carrey. I'm Canadian. You know, i got to watch it. So, Moviegoer Grimm gave it four stars, so I'm excited to see it, and see if Grimm and I agree on the four stars, and agree in his review of it. Now, he doesn't just talk about the movie, he goes into the um, dynamics of the creation of the movie, and how it almost didn't happen, and then it did happen, so it's a really good review, and I really enjoyed it. So, and it made me want, makes me want to go and see the, um, the movie. So, thank you, moviegoer Grimm. And then we have a review of one of my favorite poets of all times, 
Robert Frost's Robert Frost Collected Poems, Prose, and Plays by Michael A. Arnold. And he goes into um, not just reviewing the collected poems, prose, and plays, but he go he talks about um, editorial choices and things that editors have done that have changed the meanings of some of his poems, which, and I will say this, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again, I do not in- edit poetry. I do not. You send it to me unless a word is spelled wrong, like the I is before the E after a C. I will change the spelling, like I will correct the spelling, but I do not edit poetry. Because if you read this review of the book, you will know why. Putting a comma changes the meaning of a sentence. And what was originally intended in that sentence is no longer there, and it changes the whole intent of the poem. So I do not edit poetry. Do not. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. You send it to me. That is how it's going into the magazine. Because I write poetry, and my word program tells me, you need to put a comma here. You need to put a capital there. You need to put a semicolon here. No, I don't. This is how it needs to be read. So, this is the review of Robert Frost's collected poem, bleh, collected poems, prose and plays, by Michael A. Arnold, and it's a really good review. It's well written. It's informative, and he compares him to T. S. Eliot at the end, and it's really, really good. <laughs> so go check it out. And then we have video game review by Jeff R. Young. Yay, he's back. Um, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. And with all of the reviews, um, Jeff doesn't just go into the gameplay and how much fun it was. He talks about the dynamics of the game, the construction of the game, the good things, the bad things, the graphics, all of that. So you, you're getting a well-rounded review in what he's giving you. And the same with any of the reviews that Michael A. Arnold does. And he does two of them for us. He does the book review and the art review. And this year, this, this year, this month, he did a review of Hokusai's, I hope I pronounced that right, The Great Wave Off Kanagawa. And it was really interesting reading this review because I was learning so much about Japanese history and, and Japanese history. Okay, let's, it's late. I'm tired. Yes, Japanese history. And um, how a lot of... How their influences came into their artwork when they didn't have a lot of outside influences from other areas of the world. So it was really... It was a really interesting um, review to read, and I learned a lot. And then, then we have our commentary from the founder, David K. Montoya. And he touches on a lot of interesting things. And um, he talks about the journey to and the aftermath of the Jason Mons Pop Culture Expo and um, the Expo Explosion, the wrestling, where he totally got to geek out. (laughs) 
And, uh, yeah, so I suggest you to have it, give a read because there's some interesting things in there. Um, and now we're going to pop over to interviews and you really need, if there's any interview that you ever need to hear that the Mythmaster has ever done, other than the ones he's done with me, you need to listen to his interview this month with Zoe M. Montoya. I tell you, she is eight years old and she gives the Mythmaster a run for his money. She is sassy. She is funny. And when he tries to wrap up the interview, she decides, oh no, she's not done yet. She wants to keep on going. And I'm not going to tell you the outcome because we all know the Mythmaster likes to kill his, his victims off in interesting and unusual ways. I am going to say that I officially hand my crown off to Ms. Montoya for her interview with the Mythmaster. Well done, Zoe. <laughs> it's a really cute interview. I really enjoyed it. Um, really well. Really well. Kept the uh, Mythmaster in line, that's for sure. Don't forget, if you want to read anything that our contributors have done in the past, you can always click on the contributors page and everybody is there. Even um, people that no longer contribute. So you can check that out. Um, you can also click on back issues and see any back issues of our magazines. Um, and then the podcast page has all of the Mythmasters interviews that he's done since he's gone live and he's starting with David K. Montoya, working all the way up to now, Zoe M. Montoya. So you can give those a listen and you can listen to his latest podcast with Zoe. So check that out. And if that's not enough for you to do, you can always pop over to our jazomon.com page, the Jazomodcast, and check out our exclusive podcasts, which are me, The World of Mythbits, Who's the Boss, My Public Life as an American Nerd, Dispatches from Shed Quarters, and Paradise City. And then you can check out our syndicated podcasts, which are Juice Pro Wrestling Podcast, Delivery Bros, The Movie Madhouse, Too Opinionated, The Life Radio Show, The Days of Comics Past, and In a City Like Yours. Any of those, I guarantee you, will entertain you for however long you need to be entertained. I suggest you check them out. They are all really, really good. I have my favorites. If you want to know, just shoot me a message and ask me. So I think I'm going to wrap this up. That takes care of magazine review for this month. And you want to check out the magazine, go to www.theworldofmyth.com. You want to submit, then check out our submission guidelines. And you can submit through the website or you can email me at Stephanie Barty at the world of myth and you can find us on Facebook at the world of myth bits podcast or the world of myth magazine. You can find us on Twitter at the world of myth bits podcast or the world of myth magazine. You can find me on Facebook at author Stephanie Barty. You can find me on Twitter 
at Lupa B, and you can find me on Instagram at Stephanie Barty Author. And I will catch you all next week. Have a good one, everybody. See ya. The world of Mitbit.